0: You're listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. I feel pretty full already this morning, guys. Um, Just blessed by everything that's happened so far. Uh, and so i'm i 'm hoping that we can keep going, go a little deeper here. Um, I feel like man we 're going to go into some some big ideas this morning. Um, how many of you were with us last week or listened to the message from last week okay good a good portion. If not, I encourage you go back. There is like a sequence. there is an order. Uh, I trust that. Even if you missed it, you'll be able to jump in with us here. But just a quick review. Uh, We were looking in Genesis 1, 26 to 28 last week, really seeking to see how the scriptures and this origin story tell us answers to these common questions. Who am I? What am I? And why am I? Identity and purpose. And we uh, really caught this notion that, and, and honestly, it's, like it's so in line with what Fabio was just saying about where we, where we get answers to this being in the scriptures. And we looked at the idea that, you know, culture very much answers those questions these days with, we don't know. You get to decide. You get to discover. And, and it sounds really nice, but it actually just leaves a generation hanging with, with nothing, with nothing to stand on. But the scriptures teach us this amazing reality. And and those of you who were here, you will remember this. Those of you maybe who saw it on Facebook, maybe caught it. But we read a confession at the end of our time together last week that I'm not going to pull up now. You can find it on our Facebook community group. Um, But essentially what the scriptures and Jesus who affirms those scriptures tells us and teaches us is that all of us are made in the image and likeness of God. And that we've been assigned with a, a purpose and a calling to care for the world. And to partner with God in developing the world further into the full expression that it could be. That there's actually, from the very onset of the origin story, there is work to be done. In partnership with God. That we as human beings, made in the image of God, are actually called into this uh, task of partnering with God to make the world what it could be. It's a possibility. Develop it towards its full potential, if you will. To put it really simply, a big part of our identity and purpose is to make the world a better place. Would you agree? It's okay. Just, just for the record, it's okay to have different beliefs and views here. I feel like that kind of needs to be said these days. You're allowed to be here if you don't fully agree with that statement. You don't fully believe it. That's okay. I hope to persuade you I hope to, I hope, I hope to, uh, I believe that there is truth in that, that will set you free, that will bring you from darkness to light, that will lead you from lost into found, etc., etc. This is who you are. Made in the image of God. Appointed to make the world a better place. And in being in God's image, With the power and the capacity to actually do so, to actually help to make the world a better place. And I find it so interesting, this is where we're going to kind of start diving into some new stuff today, is that I find it so interesting that the imagery that the origin story gives us is that we're placed in a garden. What is a garden? A garden is a place where you recognize that what you sow, you will reap. Right? What you plant is going to come up out of the ground. And there's this idea that actually what we contribute to the world in which we have been placed will produce fruit. Good or bad? Are you still with me? Drew, Sam, thank you. Now, I'm operating on some fundamental assumptions this morning, okay? And I hope hope we can track today because I know I'm going into like philosophical, big idea realm right now, okay? But stick with me. This may be hard to believe because of the cultural moment in which we find ourselves saturated, but there is a reality that has a solid nature to it. We live in a real world. I said this last week. I'm standing on a real stage right now. There are actual facts. There are actual truths. Some people find that very idea that there is hard, fast, objective truth, they find it oppressive and restrictive. Don't confine me to your your truth, right? Sound, sound familiar? Anybody? Are, are you with me? Okay, as I know, I know it's like we're still in this big idea realm. So here's, here's the idea that I want to put forth today and then, and then dig into, okay? Or at least an intro to it. If this grand, big idea about who we are and our purpose in the world, right, made in the image and likeness of God, called to make the world a better place with God, if that be true, what happens and what impact is there when we lose sight of that identity, When we lose hold of the fact that we're made in the image of God and called to make the world a better place and actually given by God capacity to do so, when we lose hold of that truth, what will be the result? I love you too, Sam. You actually have in you, resident in you right now, the power to impact the world around you. It's who you are. It's an unchangeable reality of who you are. Whether you agree with it or not, that is who you are. And we could, you know, we could get into wrestling with it rather than me just up here making assertions, but, but we'll just leave it at that for right now. if that be true, that we're actually called into this partnership with God to make the world better, to make it what it could be, etc., etc., The result of losing hold of that is not a beautiful world. And there's something really, really rough that happens to us when we do not live according to the truth. Somebody uh, this week forwarded me a podcast to listen to by a man who wrote a book, and the title itself just caught me. And the title of the book, you may have heard of it, it's called Live No Lie. And, And when I heard just the title, it's like my mind starts going off in all sorts of directions because what I know about myself and what I would assume you probably know about yourself or if you don't, I hope this helps you. But when you are living in a way that you know does not accord with what you know to be true or with what you value, it is exhausting. It diminishes you. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying right now? When you have in you, I know this to be true, I value this, but I'm living like this, one of two things has to happen. You either numb yourself to your values and what you know to be true, or you have to change your behavior to align to what you know to be true and what you value. And I'm telling you what we've got as a society right now after almost two years of the experience we've been having is a lot of exhausted, diminished people because we are being required to live according to values and and behaviors that do not match necessarily ours, right? And I get there's a whole wrestle between which values to prioritize and all that sort of stuff, and I'm not even going to go there today. I just wanted to, to, to say I know we can relate to this idea that when I live a lie and when I live out of sync with what values I have that are based on the truths I believe, it diminishes me and it exhausts me and it wears me down. And I believe it does for you as well. Having said that, I'll say this to you. I'm just going to read it. Disintegration of our identity results in disintegration of our purpose and then disintegration of our world. When who you are starts to be unraveled and come apart. Connected to that, your purpose begins to unravel. And when that starts to unravel, the world around you that you were invited to partner in developing also unravels. How many of you know the, 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 the old poem, Paradise Lost? You ever heard of that title, Paradise Lost? Pretty, pretty influential piece of literature. I would say to you today, paradise lost flows from identity lost. Are you with me? I know I'm still just a big idea realm right now. So we have this story in scripture that I said we're going to spend some time in, Genesis 1 to 3. And today we're going to read from Genesis 3 in a few minutes, but... Um what I would say to you is that, all I'd, I'd even like you to just think with me for a minute, okay? Genesis 3. You know what? I'm going to switch this up. We're going to read it, and then we'll, we'll go from here. Um, so, I know that's going to mess with the order of the slides back there, but if we can get Genesis 3 up, that would be great. Can I get a nod or a thumbs up when it's up? All right. Father, I ask for your word to do what you've appointed it to do from long ago in our time together this morning. Here it is. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? All right, there's the story. That's all we're going to read for today. We're going to come back to some of the details in it in a bit. But this story is chronicling to us the beginning of uh, mankind's departure from what God had said over them and what God had spoken and what he had called them to. We often refer to this as the fall. It's like the original sin. This, this is the conceptual introduction to us of what sin is and how it functions. Now coming back to this idea that, that paradise lost flows from identity lost, I want you to, to think with me. What are the stories in Genesis, for those of you who are familiar with it, that follow this story? The story, the first story to follow this story, Cain kills Abel. Death and destruction by a human. Death and destruction to a human by a human, okay? Next story, the flood. Death and destruction to humans by nature. So we see this progression that takes place. We begin to to, to reject who God says we are. We fall away from that. We depart from it. And the very first story to follow is the very first death documented in human history. And it happens to be murder at the hands of a brother. And God even says, right in the story, his blood cries out from the ground. The next story is there's so much wickedness has progressed throughout mankind that this, this flood, this destruction comes and God in his mercy saves a few and et cetera, et cetera. But I just want you to see that progression in Genesis. What flowed from the heart of man began to manifest in the world. Are you with me? I know it's big, like, put your thinking cap on this morning. And I know you guys have good thinking caps, so don't worry. I just this is, this, is, this is a powerful, powerful story. It speaks to us about who we are, what we are, why we are, and what happens when we lose hold of that. And the next best identity story that I know of to the scriptures is the Lion King. When Nikki said the Lion King thing this morning, I don't know where you are, Nikki. I don't see you, but maybe maybe she's down hall in Oh, there you are. I almost like ran over like, you know, I'm going to reference Lion King this morning. How many people have seen the Lion King? Yes. Truly. I, I'm, like, I'm convinced this has got to be the next best identity story beside the scriptures, you know. Scriptures get number one, don't worry. But then Lion King, okay? And, uh, and I was tempted to really dive into this, like, almost 10-minute section of the movie with us this morning because it just builds, like, everything I'm talking to you about. But I won't. Uh, I just have some pictures, Okay. And um, and we're gonna we're diving in. And for those of you who want to go watch it, because I highly recommend it to you know at least maybe once or every second year at least you know watch it, um, and see how the Lord might speak to you. If you have Disney Plus, okay, timestamp one hour zero minutes fifty four seconds. <laughs> to one hour, 11 minutes, and five seconds. And I can post that on the Facebook group if you need it later. But, uh, but that is the portion that we would have watched. I have a feeling it might have shut down our live stream as well if I started playing it. So that was another motivating factor to just try pictures. But we dive into the story here, and for, because most of you are familiar, we can race through here, right? Uh, Simba has had some childhood wounds and trauma in his life, and he has run off and he has found his friends who teach him hey, no worries, life's all good, don't think about that stuff, right? And then, and then, there's all of this drama that starts to happen in his homeland because he's supposed to be the king and he's supposed to be there and he's supposed to take care of it. And all sorts of you know uh, deterioration of their society and of their land begins to take place because the guy who's supposed to be there isn't there. And his friend Nala comes along And we have, can you feel the love? That's before the timestamp I gave you, so if you want that part, you're going to have to back up. but, um, but, But Nala begins to ask him questions and almost confront him the way a good friend should and says, yo, Simba, you're neglecting your identity and your purpose in this world. Where have you been? Word for word, Simba's response. I needed to get out on my own. Live my own life. It's in there. I didn't write this stuff. It's just there. I needed to go discover myself for myself. And live my own life. She's like, yeah, well, your home is in ruins. What are you gonna do about it? And he and he gets mad at her, and da 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 da. And then along comes his spiritual director, or pastor, maybe, I don't know, or Holy Spirit, and says, "Yo, kid, wax him on the head, right, with a stick, the whole thing." And it's like, dude. I I don't remember all the words of Rafiki. I'm sorry. You'll have to go watch it. But you know, okay, this is the part that deserves airtime, I believe, in every church, every few years, is, is the next picture. Do we have the next picture? That one. Yeah, that one. I don't know if it was already up there. Simba, you've forgotten who you are. And he sits and he's looking in the water and... Man, there's so much. I'm not going to go into all the details. You're just going to watch it, but he has an encounter with his father, and his father says to him, "Remember, remember who you are." <laughs> right? And and it's like, oh, I get like chills every time I see it. comes back to Nala and his and his boys and he's like I'm going back and there's this whole scene of him running through the wilderness through the desert next picture and he returns home to find utter destruction and demise to the land that he was given responsibility for And Nala catches up to him and says, it's awful, isn't it? And Simba says, I didn't want to believe you. Until he saw it for himself, until he actually had his eyes open to realize what was going on around him as the result of his self-discovery identity journey. His abdication of his purpose. He's, He's shocked when he sees it. And she asks him, you know, what What changed your mind? Why are you going to come back? And there's this one line I won't repeat it all, but basically, if I'm not going to fight for it, who will? And then he goes on, he saves the day, and they beat the bad guys, and on it goes, you know to me, that's like where the movie ends it could just it could just finish there, but you know they got some work to do, clean it up um, you with me? I know that was better than all the big philosophy heady stuff, so. Now we're going back. (laughs) Back to the Bible, okay? So what leads us away from our identity and our purpose? We read it, okay? The portion of Scripture we read, Genesis 3, verse 1 to 9, good answer to that question. How do we get led away from our true identity and purpose? I'm not going to read it again. I'm just going to reference some points, okay? I'm going to give you what I will call a step-by-step lead astray strategy, okay? If you want a step-by-step lead astray strategy, I hope you don't. I hope you want the opposite and you can just flip this on your own. All right, here we go. Number one step undermine God's word. What does the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say, You won't die? Number one step, lead a stray strategy, undermine God's word. Number two, undermine God's goodness. God knew that when you would eat this, essentially, he lied to you. And he's holding out. He's withholding good from you. And if you follow this path over here, I'll bring you goodness. I know the most harsh, difficult, mental battles and emotional struggles that I go, go through when I actually start to process them in prayer. They almost always lead back to, at its, at its core, I don't know if God's really that good. I'll give you examples, but I'm not going to because I don't want to keep you here all day. Number three step in leading astray strategy. Undermine identity. Says, if you eat this, you'll be like God. Have you back up? And you were with us last week, or if you've read Genesis before, hopefully you remember. And I already said it a bunch of times. We were already made in the image of God. There was nothing that we had to do or eat or anything to become like Him. By His free, good grace, He made us. Like him. What we don't get in the story and what we don't know is if Eve was never told or whether she just forgot or whether she neglected the truth or whether she just like fully rejected it. It doesn't tell us. And in many ways... Implied in that is it doesn't matter. What matters is she didn't know who she was. And it made her vulnerable to this idea that if you do this, you'll be like God when she already was. Step number four, and last on the list, promise. Autonomy and un- understanding of good and evil independently from God. I'll say that again because it's a longer one. Promise autonomy and understanding of good and evil independent from God. Where do I get that? It says if you eat this, you'll be like God and you will know good and evil you yourself will become the locus of authority in defining that which is good and evil in understanding that which is good and evil you don't need anybody from out there or anything from out there or any revelation or anybody else to tell you what's good and evil Do these steps sound familiar to anybody? Can you see how deeply saturated our culture is in these ideas? Only you can define you. You do you. Now I get I get the helpfulness of that term, particularly the last one, you do you, right? Like for certain contexts. Okay, so I'm not like just poo-pooing on it all. I get it's like, hey, you know, you're on a journey, I'm not gonna like impose my judgments on you, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all that sort of stuff. I get it, okay? But it assumes a, 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 it assumes a belief that you can actually figure it out on your own. God's not that unloving. And I hope neither are his followers. We've gone so far in our culture, okay, that I feel like, man, we've even added to the strategy (laughs) that the devil gave. Sorry to pick on him, but well-known philosopher, deeply involved with the formation of our modern thinking and ideas, Friedrich Nietzsche, was quoted saying this. There is an old delusion. It is called good and evil. Did you hear that? I'll read it again. Just so you can (laughs) hear hear it. And make what you will of it. You're free to believe what you want to believe. I believe we believe in that, but I do believe there are... Helpful beliefs in the world. You know, I'm just going to pause, and I'm just going to say it. Uh, I believe that there is and should be agreed upon consequences to agreed upon bad behavior. I do not believe that democracy can exist with a concept of unacceptable views. Back to my message. (laughs) (laughs) I love all people. I honor and bless our political leaders who serve our nation and sign themselves up for a life of criticism and hate and all sorts of filth that comes out of the mouths of people. Please pray for them. You can disagree. Truckers, too. They're people, too. I love all people. Honor all people. But you can disagree with ideas without detesting people. (sighs) Detour finished. Back on track here. Sorry guys, I'm just going to check the time here. All right. Just a little another minute in popular belief, okay? There is a stream of neuroscience that also agrees with Friedrich Nietzsche that evil doesn't actually exist. And nor does good. They're just figments of our imagination. And uh, in actuality, what we call evil is simply glitches in the brain. That can be corrected through therapy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, on one hand, there is some brilliance to this. The the actual decision and choice of evil, et cetera, et cetera, right? Can be detected through the technology of neuroscience. You can actually see different parts of the brain lighting up with different ideas of love or hate or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if you follow that line of thought that there really is actually no such thing as evil external from you or good external from you, and it's just a glitch in the brain, who's to say we don't just start to scan everybody's brain and find the people with glitches and bring them to our facility for three or five years and and get them sorted out through some therapy before they murder anybody or rape anybody or do anything bad? Because the same belief actually supports the idea that you don't even have choice or will. Neuroscience hasn't figured out yet where those choices come from. But what they have said they can see is they can actually detect anywhere from half a second to one second in your brain before you actually know you're making a choice or whatever they would call it. All right. Just to affirm, Scripture teaches us that there is such a thing as good and evil. There is such a thing as your true identity and purpose in the world. And it's so kind as to actually tell you about it and teach you about it. Because to know it and to understand it is actually the way that leads to life as the alternative leads to death and destruction and disintegration and et cetera, et cetera. You can find a bunch of words that start with D and they will work. And here's where I want to land. Here's where where I really want us to, to, to catch this today. Is that true identity discovery and learning to understand good and evil is a relational journey with God and in community. You could go out and discover it all for yourself if you want to try. But God invites us to know him, to walk with him, to learn his ways. He, he builds up these communities we call churches where You do not seek to live as an authority unto yourself. You submit in love and honor to one another and you listen to other people's ideas and thoughts and actually help be shaped by them. And collectively, we actually teach each other and show each other who this God is and what he's like. I know Charlotte's wife, Michael, a good friend of mine, better because I know him in the context of community. Did I call him your wife? Hey, let's be clear about this thing here at I wasn't planning to go there today, but anyway, the, uh, you know. Michael, you are a man. That's an offensive idea these days, huh? But anyway, um, the, uh, okay, I said I was going to go there. If anybody wants to talk about what I just said, I would love to. <laughs> I really would. I really, 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 really would. Yeah. Okay. Back. <laughs> to my point. I know Michael better because I know him in the context of community. I asked Charlotte last weekend how their birthday celebration for Michael went, and she gave me a report about it. And as a result, I knew Michael better than I knew him before. When Telsey tells me stories about how she interacts with Michael at work, because she, Michael is her boss, I get to know Michael better. And then when I go hang out with Michael, I experience him in my way. And on and on it goes, right? Okay, so you get my idea, right? It is in the context of relationship with God and community that we actually get to know ourselves better, each other better, and a knowledge of good and evil emerges that's even more clear. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of the story we read this morning, after they have eaten the fruit and done the thing that they shouldn't have done and all that, God, it says, comes to walk with them in the cool of the day. Talk with them. Show them. Teach them. I'm not going to read it because I've been talking a long time. I'll share it later on social media. I was going to read to you something Tim Keller wrote, but if you want, you can just go to his Instagram page yourself and, uh, and, and read it. But maybe we could just get a, a visual of the date of the post or something. Is, did, we, did we get that in there? I don't know if we did. Okay, there it is. Tell you what. This is what I'll do for you guys. I'll just tell you the date from my phone where it is. I'll share it later, but here it is. It didn't take me that long. Uh, January 13th, okay? Tim Keller posts this. And, and is everybody reading it already? I see a lot of eyes up there. Do you guys want to take like a minute and a half extra of your day to read a post from Tim Keller together? Yeah. All right, let's do it. I, I I think I saw a few heads shaking no, but most of them <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it real quick, okay? Modern secular culture tells its school children that they individually choose their identity. They define who they are. <laughs> do we not have it? Okay. Modern secular culture tells its school children that they individually choose their identity. They define who they are. This is a late modern Western view begun with the individualism of the Enlightenment, intensified by Freud and producing what C. Taylor calls the autonomous or buffered self, buffered from anybody else's opinion. In most of Asia, Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East, identity is conceived in a far more communal and relational way, and the secular Western approach is seen as profoundly anti-social. Again, you don't tell me who I am. Right. Yet in most schools in the U.S., this very white Western approach to identity is being presented to children as if it is an objective, universally true view of human nature and personhood. Next slide. This is arrogant and culturally imperialistic. Don't you love Tim Keller's, like and ironically shows the same condescending attitude that Western elites have always had toward the global South and East. It also has many parents up in arms with a feeling that, this, that schools are deliberately seeking to disembed children from their families and from their cultural and religious communities. While, they certainly are, while there certainly are abusive families and suffocating subcultures that some need to escape, there is no justification for this imperialistic and unrealistic view of identity being pressed on an entire population without giving them or their families any alternative choices in the matter. Lord Jesus, thank you for Tim Keller. Bless him. Heal him of cancer in Jesus' name. We're almost landing here, guys, okay? Okay. Tim Keller just basically said everything I said in a lot fewer words. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't have a mic. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. It is in relationship with with God and community where we discover identity and purpose. I just want to bring us back here. This is where we're going to end. And I ask you to engage your heart, okay, not your head. I ask you to engage your heart in this moment. Remember that when God came to walk with them and talk with them, out of shame and fear, they distanced themselves and they sought to hide from Him. And God comes in and God says, where are you? God knew where they were, right? I'm pulling your head back into it just for a second, but it's a question of personal discovery. God knew where they were. So this morning, I want to ask you if you're comfortable to, no pressure to, okay, but maybe even go as far as close your eyes. Right? I know. David Hickson said that's pretty risky. Chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, if you will, you don't have to. Close your eyes. And hear him. Say to you, Where are you? Where are you? He's come to you and to me and to us in the person of Jesus unlike any other moment or any other way in human history, so that you can know him, so that we could see him, so that we could hear his voice, so we could touch him. So as you hear that question today, where are you? I want to ask you, are you near or are you far? Are you acknowledging him or suppressing the truth of him? Are you leaning in or are you leaning out? Are you running toward or are you running away? Are you transparent or hidden? Where are you? The invitation is to come to him. Embed yourself in his family. Know him and know who you are and your purpose through that. Learn good and evil, right from wrong, the way that leads to life in relationship with Jesus, his scriptures and his people. And join him in the work of making the world a better more beautiful place as you allow him to show you who you truly are. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to continue doing the beautiful work of making Jesus known to us. Free us. Free us from these elusive, nice-sounding ideas that we could figure it out on our own and that we don't need you. Make us a people deeply in love with you, enjoying, displaying your glory and your beauty and your likeness in the earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.